nothing but the love of Jesus. Like every parent knows, sometimes love demands a response. It's hard to understand for children. We come to that kind of response in the story of the Gospel of John this morning. It's a portrait of Jesus who's upset at empty ritual. I invite you to listen for God's Word as it comes to us from the Gospel of John. Now the Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And in the temple he found people selling cattle, sheep, and oxen, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Now making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. And he also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. Now he told those who were selling the doves, take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, What sign can you give us for doing this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, This temple has been under construction for 46 years, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me as we pray together? So gracious God, we come now to listen for your word. Quiet within us any voice but your own. That hearing your word, we might be not hearers only, but doers as well. For we pray in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. So what kinds of things get you upset? What is it that tends to get your blood boiling. Maybe you saw the story this week that came out of Florida from the World Golf Championships. Rory McIlroy dropped his second shot in the water on the eighth hole, par five. And after he watched his ball drop in the water, he sent his three iron in after it. Now, I've not ever actually thrown a club, but I've certainly felt the inclination to a time or two. Later on, after the match, Rory McIlroy was asked about the distance on the eighth hole, par five, and he asked, well, the second shot or the throw? <laughs> so he at least recovered his sense of humor, if not his three iron. I remember one time in our life together as parents, when my blood was really boiling. Our kids were in high school at the time. 
one of them, and I'm not going to tell you which one, really screwed up. And I grounded that kid for the entire summer. And my wife, in recounting the story recently, she said, you know, I've never seen you so upset. And of course, grounding a kid for the summer means that the parents are grounded for the summer because somebody has to monitor, somebody has to enforce that. In our family, not telling the truth would always ignite dad's anger. Don't get me wrong, I expected mistakes from my kids, but I also demanded the truth. Now, here in town last week, the Little League began, and where we live down at the corner, all the cars gather around as people flock to the ball fields. Little League parents sometimes get upset. Sometimes their blood gets boiling. When they're in the stands together and something happens or their child isn't getting a, the, the correct amount of playing time that the parent feels is necessary, we all sometimes find ourselves angry and upset about life. Anger is like a steam. And if steam is going to have any constructive value at all, it has to be under control. Try to contain and suppress it, and the pressure builds to the point of some destructive force. But when it's under control, steam can blow a whistle, it can power an engine, it can even move a ship. Anger can be a gift of God. And the story of Jesus in the temple overturning tables and driving out the money changers is one of anger with a purpose. The steam simply began to turn his engine as he entered the outer courtyard of the temple that day because exploitation has no place among the people of God. Now, since Roman currency at the time had the face of the emperor on it, it wasn't allowed in the temple. So in the outer court where the nations were allowed to gather, people could exchange Roman currency for temple money, which was often at an exchange rate that was very favorable to the money changers. So simply picture Bernie Madoff sitting at the money changers table. The one who is supposed to assist people financially in bringing their gifts and their offerings before God is the one who's taking advantage of them. Now doves were used by the very poor to fulfill their obligation to make a sacrifice and bring an offering. And the larger animals would have been used by people with more resources. This story is told in the other Gospels, but only in John's Gospel is it said that he, Jesus made a whip of cords to drive out the cattle, the sheep, the doves, and the money changers. 
And Jesus here is echoing the message of the prophets from before him, prophets like Jeremiah, that the religious life of this nation has become corrupted by self-interest. In this outer court where the nations could gather, where this nation that was blessed to be a blessing to others, and now the outer court has been converted to a place where the world is gathered simply as a marketplace. And religion is another commodity to be sold. Remember some years ago, lots of people would wear the bracelet WWJD, what would Jesus do? And I think when we think of that, what would Jesus do in this moral quandary? We usually think of Jesus as kind of the mild, loving person. Well, not long ago, I either saw a bumper sticker or a plaque somewhere, and it read something like this. What would Jesus do has to include the possibility of overturning some tables and driving out injustice with a whip. I kind of like that. This week I was reading in the recent Atlantic an article by Michael Ignatieff entitled, The Hero That Europe Needed. And it tells the story of the Velvet Revolution in Czechoslovakia and the leadership of Vaclav Havel, who became the president of a free country. And here's how that article begins. Heroism is essential to politics. We live for the hour when a politician stands up in Theodore Roosevelt's dusty arena and we recognize with astonishment that here is a person prepared to take risks, to tell us what we don't want to hear, to face possible defeat for a principle to tackle insuperable odds, and by so doing, to show us that politics need not be just the art of the possible, but the art of the impossible. Now, I think that's a good description of what people saw and witnessed that day in the temple. When Jesus stood up in that dusty arena and he faced possible defeat for a principle. It was a courageous display of what is yet possible in the worship of God that we don't need to accept things as they are. We can, in fact, live better lives, more faithful lives, more fulfilling lives, more honest lives. And it begins with a sort of cleansing of what is. A washing of way of all that opposes God, especially in the places where the worship of God is expected. For a long time, the prophets have proclaimed that God desires loyalty, not sacrifice. What does the Lord require of you? You know, do justice, 
Love kindness. Walk humbly with your God. Micah 6.8. You see, it was the empty form of religion without the content that so bothered Jesus. Merely meeting the obligation with no vital experience of faith, no contrition, no willingness to atone for one's wrongs, no desire to make things right, that's what upset Jesus and the prophets before him. As if to say that the greatest enemy of faith is not its opposite. The real enemy is a tepid and sterile form of the real thing. All the appearance, but none of the substance. Now, some understand the church to be the place where niceness reigns supreme. And of course, there is to be a certain kindness in the church. Don't get me wrong. But Jesus himself experienced the full range of human emotion. He was meek, but he also got upset. And he did it in church. Angry at empty ritual and empty faith that used privilege as a way of excluding others. Others who desired to draw near to God. And to erect barriers to authentic worship. Now that's a dangerous thing. And to take advantage of those who cannot protect themselves and who seek simply to approach the Lord for help. Well, that seems to get the Lord's blood boiling. So apparently there's a place for righteous indignation. When our faith becomes toxic or twisted on ourselves and when we become merely heavenly bound so that we're no earthly good, when the worship of God is turned into a social club or a social class or an ethnic group or a gender or a sexual orientation, there's a place for some righteous indignation. Seems to me the problem is we too often get angry at the wrong things. It's like getting upset watching our kids play baseball. We get irritated at things that are rarely about the matters that matter to God. Jesus was upset at those who treated that which is holy as if it were merely another money-making enterprise. Another occasion to profit from people's religious devotion. In Mark's gospel, there's this curious little story. And we came across it in the disciple Bible study just a week ago. And it created a little anxiety for us. As Jesus approaches Jerusalem... He's hungry, and he sees a fig tree that's in full leaf, and so he approaches the fig tree to see if he can find something to eat. But he found no figs, 
quote, for it was not the season for figs. And so Jesus curses the fig tree. And then he goes on into Jerusalem and he cleanses the temple. And then the next morning, he and the disciples come back and they see the fig tree and it is withered completely from the roots up, it says. Curious little story that bookends in the Gospel of Mark, the story of the cleansing of the temple. And the point seems to be that a fruit tree that does not produce fruit is worthless. It doesn't matter if the fig tree looks okay. If it has full leaf, it's not the appearance that matters. It's the substance. And it seems to be close to the message of this text that no one puts new wine into old wineskins. That the gospel of Christ simply won't fit into the old patterns. The temple will no longer be the place where we worship God. Because God is present in the person and the body of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself is the temple of the Lord. And so are we. We are the body of Christ. Though different members of that body. And one member cannot say to another, you're not needed in the body of Christ. Any more than a hand can say to an eye, you're not needed. And there's a clear reference in this text when Jesus says, in three days I will raise it up to his own body and to the body of Christ, the church. We don't have to go to Jerusalem. We don't have to go to Rome to worship the Lord. It is Christ in you, bringing with him the hope of glory. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The life of faith is meant to produce real fruit in us and in the world. What good is sterile religion without substance, without some fruit to show for it. This is the time of year where things break forth from the earth new and renewed. This is the time of year that we prepare for the coming resurrection of our Lord. Maybe it's time for a little spring cleaning in our lives and even in the church. Maybe it's time to be more honest about the ways in which we have turned the substance of faith in our lives into the appearance of faith. Maybe it's time to confront the truth that sometimes we relegate holy things to just another commodity for purchase at our disposal. You see, I think our Heavenly Father is not surprised when we screw up. He's also not deterred when we mess up. 
But he does demand the truth. And the waters of baptism here that we just baptized Henry in this morning have a way of cleansing the temples of our hearts. We don't have to accept things as they are. We can live new and renewed lives as they ought to be because of the power of Christ in us. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.